covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. And we do welcome you into another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. We are powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Happy for the next uh, 45 minutes, hour or so. We'll see how long we end up going today. We never really know how long these things are going to last when we get things started. That is the beauty of uh, podcasting. As always, a few things to get out of the way. Uh, first and foremost, if you ever want to get in contact with me, whether you have comments general about the uh, podcast or if you have uh, comments on things that we actually talk about inside the podcast, whether you agree or disagree, always enjoy hearing from you on Twitter. You can tweet at me, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. Also, uh, if you listen to us on Apple Podcast, if you can take uh, just a couple minutes or so and leave a review of the podcast, that would be great. We're continuing to try to get more and more folks to uh, find out basically that we exist. And uh, by being able to uh, have reviews out there, we're able to move up the iTunes list, and that uh, that helps us out. All right, here's what we have coming up on the program today as we uh, we really get into the off-season editions of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. And we'll see what this looks like on an every week uh, basis. You know, sometimes we're not really going to have minor league stuff to get to. Not always going to have two interviews. We'll just take it on a week by week basis. Uh, on the program uh, this week, we're going to be joined by uh, Kyle Loebner. That's coming up in uh, just a few minutes. He's going to be our social media conversation. Uh, something I'm doing at least for the next uh, few weeks uh, until the yeah, this is kind of a dead period for baseball teams whose seasons have come to an end because the offseason really does not start until after the postseason. So if you're all but the four teams that are still playing in the postseason – there's just not a lot going on. So what I'm going to do during this period specifically is I'm going to go back through a lot of the uh, folks that we have on the program fairly regularly and uh, just go back through the season and get their take on, on the season. It's a fun season to look back on, and obviously when you're looking back on a season, you start looking forward as well to the next. So we'll do that with Kyle Loebner coming up here in just a few minutes in our social media conversation. When we go down on the farm, uh, we'll simply get you updated on what's going on with the Brewers eight players who are taking place in the Arizona Fall League, which is always a big deal when you go to the Arizona Fall League. So we'll tell you how uh, those guys are doing. So we'll uh, get that going here in just a little bit. I want to start off the program, though, by mentioning something, a decision that the Brewers made this year. And it's going into next year, and it's a smart decision, and it's a decision that all baseball teams should do or make. Uh, the Brewers are going to extend the protective netting behind home plate. Uh, they will significantly extend the netting on the field, and uh, it had already been extended following the 2015 season to the edge of both dugouts. That's the current standard that is set by Major League Baseball. But now they're going to uh, install it where it will extend to the outer portions of each dugout. I've never completely understood the the objection to this and there is objection and by the way it's not an objection from players uh the players union has been very much in favor of this happening Uh, the objection has seemingly come from the teams and there seems to be this sense that having netting uh, in front of the dugouts is going to I, i don't know if it's going to obstruct the view is what people are worried about or obstruct the the closeness to the game 
And there is something pretty cool in baseball where you're sitting behind the dugout and you're able to uh, really communicate and everything with uh, with the ball players on the field if they if they want to do that. And that's that's a nice thing to have. But I'm not I'm not convinced that having netting there is going to stop that. Now, can they throw a baseball to you in the stands from there? No, they can't do that now. I get that. But I, I watch, you know, I, I hear people say that, you know, just because one infant or baby, whatever you want to call the, the young child who gets hit uh, at Yankee Stadium, you know, we shouldn't be jumping to these big decisions simply because of one one thing that happened in one of so many games during the course of the season. And my answer to that is, even if that's valid, even if that's true, and I don't, I don't completely buy that. If you want to, it was a really bad situation there at Yankee Stadium when the young child was hit, and I do think you have to respond to that single incident. But even if I were to agree with the idea that you don't have to respond to just a single incident, I'm at every Brewers game. I watch people get hit by baseballs and get taken out by paramedics. It seems like at least once a homestand, maybe I'm maybe it's once a month or something, but it, it seems like it happens it happens way too often. How about that? There's got to be somewhere between what 5 to 15 people that each year at Miller Park get hit by baseballs and have to go out uh, with emergency emergency personnel. That's just too much. That's too many. And I know you're going to sit there and say, if you're somebody that doesn't want to see the the netting extended, say, well, it's, you know, it's five people or it's ten people out of 81 games. You know, and you're drawing 30,000 people at every single game, so you've got a one out of however many chance of being that person. And I get that. Like, the math backs that up. But it's just we're watching. We've got all this these numbers now because of StatCast. We're watching these exit velocities go faster and faster and faster. And there are times now where you're sitting in the stands, even if you're totally 100% paying attention, depending on where you're sitting, if a ball's coming right at you at 100-plus miles per hour, you're not going to be able to respond to it. You're just not. And people talk about the view being obstructed. I sit in the press box for every Brewers game, meaning I watch the game through netting. It's never bothered me. I've never once said, man, I could see this a whole lot better if that netting wasn't there. I don't even notice it. The only time I ever think about it is in conversations like these. So I'm very happy to hear that the Brewers are going to uh, extend the netting to the dugouts. We'll see what that ends up looking like. The Brewers are very good when it comes to stadium improvements and everything. And if there's some sort of innovative technological way to have that netting, you know, go up and down or something. I don't know. Uh, so, you know, before the game, there's more opportunities to be right there. Maybe they can look at that. Maybe that's something teams will do in the future. But for now, the safety of fans uh, definitely matters. And being able to extend out the netting, uh, to me, is a very, very smart decision. All right, here's what we got coming up on the podcast today. Again, uh, Kyle Loebner is going to join us in uh, just a few minutes in our social media conversation. And uh, we are also going to uh, go down on the farm by looking at numbers from around the Arizona Fall League. But first, let's get to this week's Headlines of the Week. It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's Headlines of the Week. Well, as I was saying a few moments ago, there are not a ton of headlines right now uh, because it's the time of year where stuff is very, very slow. 
But a few things uh, do happen uh, over the course of the last week. One of them we just talked about. The Brewers do announce they are going to extend the netting uh, out beyond the uh, dugouts, which, again, we just talked about. We don't have to go back uh, into that. Uh, something else, the uh, Baseball Writers Association of America uh, have announced their winners for uh, this year. And uh, Travis Shaw is the big winner, as Shaw named the Brewers MVP and also the Brewers' top newcomer of the year. Uh, Brewers closer Corey Knable picks up the Pitcher of the Year honors. Uh, Brent Suter was uh, named the uh, team's unsung hero. And Eric Thames won the Good Guy Award. The Good Guy Award is uh, just about a guy who has a great disposition in the clubhouse and is easy to work with from a media standpoint. I can second that. Uh, the times that we dealt with him uh, on our Extra Innings postgame show on WTMJ Radio, always great to be around. He always he never answers in cliches. He always very thoughtful with what he says. So uh, I like those honors. You know, Brent Suter really helped out this team when they needed it when he was put into the starting rotation. Obviously, Corey Knable uh, being an all-star closer. You can also look at Jimmy Nelson for potentially being a pitcher of the year. And we don't even, we'll, we'll talk about Travis Shaw a fair amount with uh, Kyle Loebner coming up in just a bit. But uh, without a doubt, he's the Brewers MVP. And being a newcomer, obviously, he'd be the top newcomer as well. Uh, the Brewers last offseason did a $20 million overhaul of the concession program uh, at Miller, Marl Miller Park. Technically, the food and beverage infrastructure is how uh, they would say it. And uh, with that, Ballpark Digest awarded uh, Miller Park as the best new concessions experience for uh, 2017. So that's pretty darn cool that they put that money into it and uh, they get honored uh, for that. And also the Brewers make some internal promotions on David Stearns' staff as uh, three individuals get uh, enhanced titles as uh, Carl Mueller was promoted to Vice President of Player Personnel, Matt Klein to the Director of Baseball Operations, and Scott Campbell being promoted to a Special Assignment Scout. So that's just some... uh, kind of some house cleaning type stuff uh, as the off season starts to uh, really get underway and some individuals who have worked uh, very hard on David Stearns' and uh, Matt Arnold's staffs uh, to uh, do some good things and they get uh, promoted with some new job titles. So uh, so good for them. And all of them have been with the Brewers for quite some time as well. They, they predate uh, Stearns for the most part. And, and it's, it's cool to see that uh, there were people in place prior to Stearns that have worked so well. And you can include Craig Council in that. You know, Craig Council was not a David Stearns hire, but those two guys worked together as well as just about any manager, general manager combination in baseball. And that goes into why this team was able to be so successful this past season. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast, is powered by WTMJ Mobile. We do continue on. It is time for our social media conversation. Very happy right now to bring in uh, Kyle Loebner. He, uh, you can read him uh, at the Timber Rattlers website. Also, uh, he contributes to uh, Shepherd Express. Follow him on Twitter at Brew Frosty Mug, where you can find uh, the daily Frosty Mug that he puts out, uh, especially during the season on an everyday basis. But as the uh, offseason goes along, he puts out uh, a few things as well, and he joins us right now. Kyle, appreciate the time as always. How are you doing? 
I'm doing great. How are you? Doing good. Uh, it's the off season. We're a couple weeks now into the uh, the Brewers off season, and let me just start you off with this real general question: As you've spent maybe you know the kind of the last couple weeks reflecting back on what was uh, the Brewers season, what what's the thing or what's the quality about this past season that uh, really jumps out to you? You know, I, I think on the whole, you know, accepting out a couple of weeks, this season was just really fun. Um, and I think that the kind of unexpected nature of that uh, really built into that in a big way. You know, this wasn't a year coming in. I mean, for me personal, at least, the narrative for coming into this year was what happens if this team takes a step back from a 2016 team that I think was better than a lot of people expected. And so for them to go the opposite direction, for them to take a big step forward, um, the, the unexpected nature of it really made it fun. Um, and, and so I, I hope as we look back at this team in the years to come, um, that that is the kind of the narrative that sticks with it. Not necessarily the missed opportunity, um, not necessarily the, the chance at something more, but just the fact that this was the year when we started to see it come together um, really ahead of schedule. Uh, to me, this was also kind of the year where we really started to see Craig Council's baseball beliefs, and maybe his baseball beliefs were based off the team he has, and, and he would do things different. You know, there was so much controversy. We've talked before about the bunting, and then we saw the way he used uh, the pitchers in the month of September, and there was some out of the box thinking. And I'm sure you know David Stearns contributed to that as well. But what was your thoughts on kind of the the evolution of Craig Council as a manager and the way he uh, ran this club this year? You know, I, I really. I think, um, you know, Craig Council is not perfect, and hopefully there are some things he'll learn in the job. But I do think he is the uh, the best brewer manager, probably the most capable brewer manager that we've seen in my time covering the team, going back to 2008. Um, and probably the, the most capable brewer manager overall, maybe since Phil Garner, um, you know, almost certainly since Phil Garner, when you look at some of the names that he's moved ahead of. The Brewers have had managers, a lot of managers, over the last decade and a half, uh, guys like Ned Yost, Ken Maka, guys who did one thing well and kind of fell short in another. And I don't think there's that big gap in Craig Council's game. Um, I, I think, you know, there's a, a lot of things he does um, from a sabermetric standpoint that makes sense. Um, there is a willingness to kind of embrace the way the game has changed um, that I, I think is a, a really good thing for this team going forward. And additionally, you know, Council is able to connect with this team. He's young enough to be able to relate to these guys. He's young enough to be with teammates with some of these guys. And so he's in a, a good position to be um, a guy who kind of straddles that gap a little bit between being, you know, a, a new age baseball thinker and someone who is open to that possibility, but also a guy who has, you know, the backing of his clubhouse, a guy whose players know that he has been there. And so when he comes to them to ask for something, they, they can relate to it. That's not easy though, too, because young enough to that that he's been you know he's teammates with with Ryan Braun, so young enough that some of these guys, as you said, he's been teammates with, but still able. I think he commands respect inside of that clubhouse. Uh, to me, there's not a lot of guys that can have both of those things. Oh, absolutely not. No, it certainly helps. You know, if you're going to be a guy who you know a former player commanding respect in the clubhouse, it certainly helps to have a relatively young and relatively inexperienced team. You know, I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of strong opinions in this clubhouse, but there weren't a lot of veteran guys who, even if they were interested in doing so, would have had the opportunity to kind of stage a mutiny. Um, but with that said, yeah, I, I think you know that that's kind of a unique quality. There aren't a lot of managers across baseball that have that 
Um, and, and some of them that have that ability to, to command respect in a clubhouse um, have other flaws in their game that have made them less successful. This this team was very young, and sometimes it almost felt like they didn't know better. They didn't know they weren't supposed to be winning some of these games. They didn't know that they weren't supposed to be sticking around in uh, the playoff chase until the second-to-last game of the season. How does the – I don't know if it was a chip on the shoulder, not knowing better. I don't know what you want to say, but how do they take kind of that mentality of this team and keep it going next year when they do have a year of competing under their belt? Yeah, I think that's going to be a real challenge. Um, this is a team that came into 2017 with no pressure. You know, I, I think by leading the NL Central for a day, they were kind of ahead of where people expected them to be. Next year, that's not going to be the case. You know, they, they are going to come into spring training next year as a team that is a likely favorite to make a playoff spot or to make a playoff appearance. Um, at the very least, in a wild card. And so, you know, they're going to come to camp with an understanding that this is a team that's expected to win. And it's going to be interesting to see how they handle themselves and if things change in that situation. You know, Travis Shaw doesn't have the advantage next year of being a guy that nobody expected to be as good as he was. Um, certainly, you know, we saw pitchers come around as the year went along to Eric Thames. He's not going to get the opportunity to catch baseball by surprise next April. And so that's the next step for this team. We've seen they're talented enough to win. Are they talented enough to win consistently? And are they talented enough to win consistently in an environment where they're not going to take anyone by surprise anymore? Travis Shaw had the the 270 season plus 30 home runs over 100 RBIs. Manny Pena did a really nice job as an everyday catcher hitting almost 280 and being solid behind the plate. Domingo Santana had a 30 home run season. Uh, of those not just those guys, those are the guys that jump out to me first from a position player standpoint. Who's the guy that most exceeded your personal expectations compared to what uh, you thought they were going to do when the season got started? Yeah, I think Manny Pena is a guy who didn't even come to camp really certain of a spot on the roster, uh, much less the opportunity to be the main catcher. And that's actually you know a sneak preview of my story for Shepard Express this week. I think the catching situation for the Brewers is perhaps a little more unsettled going forward than you would expect, just given the fact that Pena did have a really nice year. Uh, but it is a guy who is on the wrong side of 30 years old and is a guy that seemed to wear down a bit as the season went along. And so I think the Brewers are going to have some interesting decisions to make this winter at that position. But with that said, I mean, Pena didn't even come to camp certain to get a job. He had a, a three-way catching race in spring training that he ended up you know, putting himself in a really good position and became a key contributor to this team, a guy who had some really memorable moments as the year went along. And I think, you know, across baseball right now, quality catching is just so very scarce. Um, last winter, I talked about Jacob Nottingham as the top catching prospect in the Brewers organization, one of the top 10 or 12, I think, catching prospects in all of baseball, according to MLB.com. He's a guy that most scouts aren't even sure is going to stick a catcher. Yeah. You know, it's just very hard across baseball right now to find quality up-and-coming catchers. The Brewers have a whole bunch of them in the upper levels of their organization kind of recently um, because they were able to pick up Stephen Vogt this year, because they do have Jet Bandy back, and they have Manny Pena back, and Andrew Susak could be back if they want him to be. And so the Brewers are in a great position of strength, but it's going to be interesting to see how long that holds out because some of those guys are getting kind of up there in years. Yeah, you know, I look forward to reading your story, and I'm not trying to take too much away from it. So I... Would I be correct in saying that you, you're, you're more worried about it more from a long-term perspective than next year? Because I, for me, 
I'm comfortable if they go into next year with Manny Pena and Stephen Vogt uh, being being the catching tandem. Yeah, I think, and in the short term, I'm comfortable with that too. But I think there's two things to consider in there. One is that Manny Pena did seem to wear down as the year went along when he had to catch a lot. Um, and Stephen Vogt has a, a flaw in his game too, defensively. And so... You know, being able to mix and match would be great if those guys are healthy and productive, but those guys are also at the point in their career where you're going to start to see diminished returns already, um, which is weird to think about with Pena, who was a Rookie of the Year candidate this year, but he may already be somewhat past his prime. But because of his kind of unconventional career path, um, he is a guy who's already over 30. And so, yeah, I think for opening day next year, if it is Pena and vote, um, that would be an okay thing for the Brewers. But this isn't the long-term solution. Uh, for this team. They're still going to need to find the catcher of the future because the reality is the situation they have now, the window is probably only a couple of years at best. The um, At the corner infield spots, you got obviously Travis Shaw put up great numbers. Eric Thames had the very interesting season where he had the great April, and then after April got over, he had his moments, but there was very little consistency. There's probably bigger issues to worry about for next year, but how would you grade out overall the corner infielders when you look at the production of both Shaw and Thames? Yeah, I think certainly Travis Shaw checks all the boxes for everything you'd like to see from a third baseman going forward. Um, Had a, a really nice first full season in Milwaukee, played his position really well for a position that actually is relatively new to him, or at least not his preferred, um, and was a great force at the plate and pretty clearly the MVP of this team. Um, Across the diamond, you have Eric Thames, who, you know, when you look at the big picture and his overall numbers, um, had a, a pretty good year for a Brewers first baseman, but when you look at what he was basically as a hitter after May 1st or so, um, it, it sheds a different picture. Um, and, and so the question for Eric Thames is going to be, you know, is that hot streak something that has predictive value? Is that hot streak something that you can look at and say, okay, maybe next year you can still think that he is going to have a stretch where he, you know, powers this team, he's still going to hit 25 or 30 home runs and put up the overall numbers, or was that hot streak a fluke? You know, was it something where pitchers hadn't figured out how to work around him yet? Um, and so he had you know, kind of a, an immediate run of success in the big leagues that's not going to be replicated in the future. Because if the player he is all of next year is just the player that he was from May to September of this year, um, that may not actually be an above-average big league first baseman. And so the Brewers are going to have a couple of interesting decisions to make. They probably um, still have to consider what they're going to do with Jesus Aguilar also at first base. And in light of that, they have a a very tough, challenging decision to make with Eric Thames in terms of how much value they put on him and where they want to leave him coming into the, the next season. All right, let me throw this at you because this is my take on Thames and see if you're on the same page with me or not. I don't think the... I don't think the hot streak in April is predictive. I don't think we see that again. I think that was a case of him being somebody that pitchers weren't used to, and it was just kind of a lightning-in-the-bottle month. 
but I also think there's going to be improvement because it's he's had his first full season back in the big leagues. He talked, you know, there was talk throughout the year about the strike zone being higher in Major League Baseball than it was in Korea, and it's I, I think especially with him and how cognitive he is, it's tough for him to adjust in the middle of the season. So I think this offseason is going to be filled with adjustments. So I think he's I think he's better than who he was from May 1st on, but I don't think he has a month like he had in April. Are, are you on? Would you do you like that thought? Is, is that something you're on uh, on with? Yeah, I think you know you have to hope that Thames is a relatively cerebral player. Uh, will go into this offseason recognizing what didn't work at times um, and put himself in a position to better capitalize on it going forward. Now, that's easier said than done. Um, there are probably a fair number of players in baseball who recognize the things they don't do well. Uh, some of them are able to fix it, and some of them can't. So I think, you know, for Thames, it's going to be very difficult to make that evaluation as the winter goes along. It's the kind of thing that you're going to need um, probably a few months of next season to kind of evaluate and figure it out. But certainly, you know, as you look across this Brewer roster, um, Thames might be the guy for 2018 with the widest range of possible outcomes. Yeah. Um, because he could make that adjustment. He could continue to evolve as a big league player. He could start to figure out some of the things that guys were doing to get him out and have a huge year. Um, and it's entirely plausible that he could go back in the other direction, you know, that the pitchers get even better at exploiting the, the weaknesses in his game. Um, and he's, you know, by the middle of next year, we're talking about him as a guy that Brewers need to find a way to replace. I think those options are all on the table and everything in between. It, it, to me, it's almost funny that they win 86 games, and then you look at the outfield production – Domingo Santana was your most consistent outfielder in right field. Ryan Braun dealt with injuries, and even when he was in there, he wasn't. Uh, he was still kind of having those nagging injuries, whether it was the calf. Uh, we learned about a wrist injury later on uh, in the season. Uh, you had moments from Keon Broxton, but nothing sustained. Uh, Brett Phillips was very good in the final month of the season, but but that was a month. I mean, it was a it was an outfield group that there was very little consistency in center field or left field, and you look at the outfield as, as the areas that you really need to find offense from, yet this team was still able to win 86 games with, uh, with uh, trouble with consistency in center and left. Yeah, and I think Lewis Brinson is a name that you didn't bring up on that list, and he plays very interestingly into that picture as well, especially going forward. Um, the Brewers are going to have a tough decision to make this winter um, in terms of what they got from their outfielders this year and which ones they think are probably for, or which ones they think may or may not be for real. Uh, because when you look at a guy like Domingo Santana, uh, certainly his 2017 season would imply there are some big things ahead. He is only 25 years old. His offensive game is very much matured. Um, there are elements of his defensive game, especially his throwing arm, that is very good. Um, there are elements of his defensive game that I think will still raise some eyebrows from time to time as well. Um, but certainly it looks like he has the opportunity, at least on the offensive side, to be a star in this league going forward, especially if he continues to mature. Um, I, I really think his career path right now compares very well to a guy like Nelson Cruz or Carlos Lee, um, who went on to have very nice big league careers after some young success. And so, you know, certainly he's a guy you pencil in going forward, but everything else right now has to be considered up in the air. Um, the Brewers tried to manage Ryan Braun's health better this year than they have in the past. Um, at times, it seemed to work. 
Uh, but when they relied on him pretty heavily in September, it really seemed like, you know, that the wheels kind of came off for him. And a long season kind of wore on him, despite the fact that he hadn't actually played, you know, as much as he had the year before. And so the Brewers are going to have an interesting challenge to try to find a way to have a, a plan for him that's going to work. And then in the meantime, you have Brinson and Brett Phillips, um, you know, and so you have to try to figure out, Keon Broxton also, you have to try to figure out where these guys are going to play. Um, and if you really have room on your roster to carry all five of them, you know, at, at any given time. And so there's probably going to be, you know, it's a good problem to have, but there are going to be very talented guys um, at a variety of positions that don't have an opportunity to play consistently for this team next year. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see how the Brewers decide to manage that. If they try to leverage, you know, some of that strength in a trade to try to improve an area of weakness elsewhere, or if they try to, you know, find ways to keep everybody happy and in the lineup, um, knowing that at times it might be a challenge. Braun, Brinson, Phillips, Santana. Let's just talk about those four guys for a second. Not trying to take anything away from Keon Broxton, but I want to go with those four. What are, to you, if you had to put a percentage chance on, and I'm going to throw you on the spot here, what to you is the percentage chance that all four of those guys are on the opening day roster next year? I think it's pretty good. Um, I, I think I was just down at Instructional League about a week ago. Uh, watching Lewis Brinson take batting practice and you know get in some workouts with some of the guys that are down there, he looks pretty close to being healthy. Um, he looks ready to come back uh, more or less whenever. But I think until he gets back into games and proves that he is healthy, it's going to be very difficult for the Brewers to find a trade market for him this winter, um, unless they can demonstrate that he is measurably back. Um, and so, you know, that would really be the only reason that I wouldn't see him on the opening day roster next year. And Brett Phillips, you know, to his tremendous credit, if this season had played out differently and Lewis Brinson hadn't gotten hurt, we probably see Brett Phillips on the roster in September, but we probably don't see him play very much. Yeah. Um, and this entire breakout that he had this last month probably doesn't happen. Um, and it may have been a, a career-altering month for him. Um, but when you... You know, factor in you know, some of the intangibles, the fact that he is a, a big spark in the clubhouse, um, plus his defense. I think he is a guy that at the very least the Brewers will probably want to see um, on the bench to start the year with the ability to play all three outfield spots and the ability to be a defensive spark, if nothing else, when he's out there. And then, you know, because of the injury situation, again, it, it's going to be very difficult for the Brewers to even consider moving on from Ryan Braun this one. Um, there's going to be question marks again, I think, as there has been every year. You know, kind of the, the two questions with Braun. One is, can the Brewers move on from him? And two is, how healthy is he when he comes back? I think we're going to be talking about that pretty much straight through from November to March again this winter. <laughs> the more things change, the more things stay the same, especially with, with Ryan Braun. And the other thing on Brett Phillips that I think is worth noting, I've said this a couple times on Twitter, when the Brewers were reportedly in or on Jose Quintana and reportedly in on, on Sonny Gray, you know, nothing official, but we heard a lot of times that Brett Phillips was maybe potentially a part of those deals because if they're not going to trade away Lewis Brinson, then maybe Phillips is that guy. So, you know, for all those games that he helped the team win in September, while people were lamenting about the fact that uh, the club doesn't make a, a big move for a pitcher, by not making a move for a pitcher, 
Brett Phillips was around and Brett Phillips was able to help. And, I, you know, that's kind of a – it's you can't quantify that because you don't know what it would have looked like if he would have been traded, but I think it's notable. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's certainly um, – we're going to get a lot of opportunities in the years to come to talk about guys the Brewers maybe had an opportunity to get or didn't get, um, and some of the guys they kept as a result. You know, and certainly Josh Hader is a name that came up in trade rumors a fair amount um, as the year went along, and, cert- and the Brewers certainly benefited from keeping him around. <laughs> now, it remains to be seen what they're going to do with him going forward. But in any case, when you, you get that situation, sometimes the move you don't make turns out to be one um, that works out for you. And sometimes you have to deal with the fact that you have to give up something to get something. You know, it, it was just... Uh, last week, I believe, was the anniversary of Michael Brantley being named as the player to be named later in the C.C. Sabathia trade. Well, Brantley went on to Cleveland, had a really nice career, um, but when you look back on that deal, I think a lot of Brewer fans are still probably relatively happy that the Brewers made that move and got Sabathia for the few months and broke their long playoff drought. Did you like the way Craig Council handled the pitching in the final month where really you had you had Zach Davies and you had Chase Anderson. You had a Brent Suter who wasn't stretched out, who they didn't like to uh, go through a lineup for the third time. Uh, you had a rookie in Brandon Woodruff who let down a little bit at the end of the season. So you, it was almost like you were going with two and three-quarter starters or, or something like that, and then a lot of bullpen days. Did you like the way they handled that? You know, I don't think it was ideal, but I think it was somewhat born out of necessity. I mean, it is really difficult in the grand scheme to have a 15-man pitching staff and have them all be worn out. Um, and somehow that is what the Brewers managed on the stretch this year. Um, they had a lot of early calls out there. They had a fair number of bullpen days, as you mentioned, um, and really um, some challenging work for a lot of these guys, um, especially for some of the guys who had already pitched a lot over the course of the year out of the bullpen. And so you hope that that doesn't have kind of lasting ramifications, um, that a, a guy like Jacob Barnes, who just really seemed to tire out as the year went along, um, is able to find an opportunity to get some rest this winter and come back in the spring stronger. Um, but it, it's, going to be, it's going to be interesting to see if that's the case, because that's not guaranteed. Um, the, the track record for pitching your relievers a lot um, does not necessarily always bode well for the future. And so, yeah, I think, you know, the Brewers did what they had to do. Um, they did what they felt gave themselves the best opportunity, um, especially in light of the Jimmy Nelson injury, which certainly nobody could have predicted. And so, yeah, it's not ideal. Um, I, I would be, I don't think it would work to try to do that for an entire season. Um, but in September, with the season on the line and with the playoff chase being what it was, um, I have no problem with Craig Council kind of putting all his chips on the table and trying to give us even the best opportunity to win. Does this team need to go, whether it's in trade or whether it's a free agent, and I feel like the team is more set up for probably making a trade with some of that extra depth that they have, does this team need to go out and get a legit starting pitcher? Maybe not an ace, but a guy who's truly uh, an established number two, number three kind of starting pitcher for next year? I think they do. Um, I think, especially in light of the Jimmy Nelson situation, um, especially in light of the fact that he almost certainly will not be available on opening day, um, may not be ready for most of the season, um, I think this is a, a Brewers team that if they want to be serious about contention really needs to get some help for the pitching staff. And I think, you know, when you look at the rotation as it was in September, um, in the tattered state that it was, 
there may only be three guys there that are back in the rotation for most of the year next year. Um, and the Brewers um, made an interesting decision with Josh Hader, uh, putting him in the bullpen when they did, because it really put them in a position where if they want him as a starting pitcher next year, it's going to be very difficult to, for him to make 30 starts. Um, he has never pitched more than about 125 innings in a season before. He pitched about 100 innings this year. And so realistically, you know, when, when you extrapolate that out, the best-case scenario for Hayter in 2018 is maybe about 145, 150 innings, uh, which really is not the workload of a full-season MLB starter. Um, and so even if the Brewers wanted to use him in the rotation, they would probably still need some help to try to fill in some of the other gaps um, around him and to try to find an opportunity to get either a guy who can throw a lot of innings uh, which would be kind of the ideal, or at the very least, somebody who can give them a, a very good chance to win on that fifth day. It's. Uh, do you think they'll be at uh, Mark uh, Atanasio made an interesting comment when he was around the club at the end of the year that I think the I don't have the exact quote, but something along the lines of they'll be able to punch above their weight, meaning they might be able to spend a little bit more money because of how low the payroll is. Could they make a surprise splash in free agency? You know, I think the opportunity is there. Um, it's going to be the, the payroll at the end of the year was about $60 million. Um, with arbitration rate raises, if they tendered everybody, they're probably sitting around $75 million, $78 million for next season. And so, yeah, there's a lot of flexibility there. Now, starting pitching isn't the only need on this team. They probably need to have a conversation about what they're doing at second base for the long term as well. But with that said, yeah, certainly I don't think there's anybody out there that they should be saying they have no chance at. Um, they are in a position where if a good investment is available, they certainly have the financial flexibility to pursue it. And so I think, you know, certainly um, – it's tough to tell when you get a quote like that. If that is simply Mark Adonazio saying the right thing um, to the media at the end of the season because saying the opposite almost certainly would have been newsworthy in a negative way, or if that really is the Brewers' intention to go out there and try to win. But I think the history of the Adonazio era suggests that when the opportunity to win has been out there and the team has felt like they are only a player or two away, he is a guy who's willing to take that step um, and spend the money to to take that next step. How aggressive should they be on both Neil Walker and Anthony Swarzak? I'd, I'd really like to see Swarzak back. And I think given his track record, um, that may be something that is easily within reach for them um, financially. The Neil Walker situation is a little more challenging just because um, he is in what I have kind of described as the bad decision portion of his career. <laughs> um, he is a guy who is you know, closing in on his mid-30s. When you look at his career trajectory, there's probably you know, two, maybe three good years left in the tank for him, at least you know, probably. And so if you can get Neil Walker back, you know, certainly if you can get him on a, a one-year deal on a qualifying offer, you know, like the Mets did a year ago, that would be fantastic. Um, if you can get him for two or three years, it's maybe worth considering. But because of the productivity he has shown, um, it, odds are there's somebody out there that's willing to offer him a little more than that. 
and there's somebody out there that's willing to pay him into something like his age 36 or 37 season at a level that a mid-market team would find financially challenging. And so, you know, certainly it'd be great to see Neil Walker back. Um, This was a Brewer team that was almost certainly better with him than without him. But I worry that if the Brewers, you know, make a big commitment in an effort to get Neil Walker back for 2018, that this is going to be the bad contract. So we talk about in the same light that we've talked about the Matt Garza deal or the Randy Wolf deal or the Jeff Supon deal or the Ricky Weeks deal, you know, in 2022. Before we let you go, we're talking with uh, Kyle Loebner. It's been a fun conversation as we're uh, going through all kinds of off-season stuff. Uh, you mentioned uh, that you were uh, you were down in Arizona watching the the fall league. What I, I, I wasn't even real. I didn't realize you were there, so I didn't really have anything prepared for this. But what uh, what stood out to you while you were there? Well, I was down there for fall instructional league. Um, I didn't actually get to see the Arizona Fall League, but Fall Instructional League is a really cool opportunity uh, for the Brewers to bring in a lot of guys who are relatively new to professional baseball and relatively new to the organization. So a lot of the guys who played in rookie ball this year, a handful of guys who are making the trip over from the Dominican Republic for the first time, and they really, you know, they get an opportunity to, A, familiarize themselves with the Brewers' spring training facilities um, and put themselves in a position to kind of get a head start on next year. But then also, you know, there's a roster of about 30 or 35 guys down there, and basically all of the minor league coaches from around the organization are down there. So they get a lot of one-on-one time, a lot of individual instruction, a lot of um, opportunities to make mechanical adjustments to their game that will help them going forward. And so for me, it's always fun uh, because of my role with the Timber Rattlers. When I go down there, there's a lot of you know past, present, and future timber rattlers down there. So it's always great to get an opportunity to work on some of those stories. My first one is up right now at TimberRattlers.com, and I'll have a whole lot more coming up between now and the end of the year. All right, so I'll ask you two more questions on that, and then I'll let you go. Uh, first off, former timber rattler who uh, you were maybe most impressed with during Instructs? Well, I think Keston Hira is the easy answer to that one. Um, you know, I, I think everything we have seen from Keston Hira suggests that he is a very advanced hitter. Um, he has quick hands. Uh, one of his former teammates told me that he could not imagine the Brewers putting Hira at any level and not having it hit at least 280, hmm. you know, all the way up to the league. His hands are just that good. Um, but the question mark with Hira was his defense. Um, he had not played defense all year in college. He made a couple of appearances at second base with the Timber Rattlers. I saw him play second both in practice and in games down in Instructs, um, and it really looks like he is going to have the skill set to stick at second base. Um, his arm is, you know, adequate. Um, it, it's not spectacular. It's not going to knock you back out of your chair. He's not going to make a ton of web gem plays at second base, but it, it's good enough to stick there. And everything else about his defensive game looks very good. His footwork is crisp. Um, he really turns a nice double play. Um, he is always where he is supposed to be. And so I think Keston Hero might be one of the, the biggest um, questions answered for the Brewers that instructs this year. It really looks like his career is ready to accelerate forward. All right, same question, but uh, in terms of a future timber rattler. Yeah, I talked to an awful lot of guys, but a guy I really liked is uh, Gabriel Garcia, who has been a first baseman and a third baseman. Uh, for the Brewers the last couple of years in rookie ball. He was a draft pick out of Puerto Rico a couple of years ago. Um, and he's a, a really, you know, he's a cerebral player. He's a, a student of the game, so to speak. Um, 
you could really see, you know, watching him take on the one-on-one instruction down in Instructional League and watching him really soak it up. Um, and so, you know, he's the guy we'll be looking for big things for in 2018, um, hopefully with the Timber Rattlers. Uh, those rosters are still several months away from being finalized, of course. Um, but there's an awful lot of guys down there that I am excited about seeing coming up. He is really just the tip of the iceberg on that. I'll have to check out my stories at TimberRattlers.com for the rest. Yeah, absolutely. The frosty microbrews at uh, TimberRattlers.com, and those uh, continue on. Uh, as you mentioned, one already is up. I'm taking a look at it right now, and it's great stuff. Uh, so people can read you uh, there. People can read you on the Shepherd Express. Definitely follow you on Twitter, at BrewFrostyMug. And, uh, Kyle, it's great to uh, talk, and uh, I'm sure we'll uh, talk again as the off season moves along. Sounds good. Take care. The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. All right, time to go down on the farm as the Arizona Fall League is taking place. This is where you send your top prospects to uh, get a little extra time. And uh, there's just a handful of teams. You send six to ten prospects uh, to a respective team that you share with other major league organizations. In fact, uh, the team that the Brewers players are uh, playing for, the Salt River Rafters. Uh, Also on that team, the Diamondbacks, the Orioles, the Rockies, and also the Marlins. But uh, this is what it looks like right now. The four uh, position players who are participating, Lucas Ersig, Monte Harrison, Corey Ray, and Jake Gatewood. Ersig so far has had uh, the best showing. We record this on Sunday night, through so through games uh, through Sunday. Uh, Ersig in four games, uh, hitting 333, two RBIs. He's uh, scored a run. He's got an OPS at 968. He's slugging 583. He has committed a couple errors, though, over at third base. Monte Harrison, uh, he's got a 167 average in uh, two games as he is one for six, uh, has walked once, has struck out three times. Corey Ray so far uh, has really struggled, just one of 13, and that's disappointing for him after he had uh, a disappointing full minor league season. You would have liked for him to get to the Arizona Fall League and really turn it on to get some momentum going into next year, and uh, we'll see what happens when all is said and done, but Corey Ray so far through Sunday's action, one of 13, uh, has a uh, just two total bases, um, three strikeouts, so he's not striking out that much, so you get that going on, and then uh, Jake Gate would doesn't have a hit quite yet he is 0 for 7 with a walk and three strikeouts from a pitching standpoint adrian hauser nate greep john perrin and quentin torres costa are all there uh going through their numbers so far for hauser he's appeared in one game he did start he went three innings line two runs one earned on four hits with three strikeouts and no walk so he has an era at three he did take the loss however in that game so he's 0-1 he is the only one of these pitchers who have a decision no records for everybody else nate Greep has appeared in a couple games uh, has thrown two innings giving up a run on three hits so he has a four and a half era three strikeouts and one walk john perrin has appeared in one game has given up one unearned run on two hits with two strikeouts uh, and no walks and Torres Costa has also appeared in one game and struggled in that one game giving up two runs on two hits with two strikeouts and a walk and those are all the Brewers players currently in the Arizona Fall League. 
And that's going to do it for this edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Once again, if you do listen on Apple Podcasts, would love for you to uh, leave a review for the podcast. That would be great. Also, if you want to get in contact with me, you can do so by tweeting at me, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. And don't forget, we have our Thursday night show throughout the course of the year as well on 620 WTMJ Brewers Weekly. That runs on Thursday nights from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock, immediately following uh, either Packers Playbook or Sports Central, depending on what is happening that evening. I'm actually out this week taking a little vacation time, but uh, Justin Garcia will be uh, hosting that show coming up on Thursday nights. So uh, please be tuned in for that. Uh, each and every week on 620 WTMJ. Once again, our thanks to uh, our featured guest today on our social media conversation, Kyle Loebner. Have a great week, and we will talk to you next week with another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Bolt. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to the home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.